Ringer Films and HBO's DMX Don't Try to Understand is the next installment of the Music Box series premiering this Thursday, November 25th at 8 p.m. The film focuses on a year in the life of rapper Earl DMX Simmons as he's released from prison in early 2019 and attempts to rebuild his career in the music industry and reconnect with family and fans. DMX Don't Try to Understand bears witness to a man searching for reinvention and redemption, striving to stay true to himself while reestablishing his roles as a father, an artist, and an icon. Watch or stream DMX Don't Try to Understand on HBO or HBO Max, Thursday, 8 p.m. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he did the wrong drugs in the wrong order and he can't get happy. It's Andy Greenwald! There has never been an all-you-can-eat sizzler buffet of intro choices for you like after this episode of Succession and you went with the one that draws a little blood. Draws a little yeah. blood, stings, stings. <laughs> Cuts a little close. Yeah. <laughs> Hurts because it's true. <laughs> I mean, that's what's good about this episode, Chris. Oh my God, what a fucking humdinger. Andy, episode seven, uh, it was a, a callback somewhat to uh, Prague, Tom's bachelor party from season one. The party, I don't, is, is there ever been a better show at doing parties than Succession in the history of television? It's a great question. Uh, you could make the case that Party Down was all other people's parties, so it was batting a thousand. I think that any episode of The Office often they excelled at party episodes. Sure, but it is a you know it, it it's it is not unlike a sitcom in the sense that they always have that waiting for them. You know, I mean, it, going back to like Cheers, like the Bar Wars episodes, you'd know one was coming and you'd be waiting for it. Could they top it this year? You know, Parks and Rec always had things like that. Succession is not a situation comedy, although it often has comedy sure. drawn from situations. And you got to clap because they could just make this a show about these people throwing galas and enduring galas and it would be an outstanding show. That they hold out and pick their spots and build up to close to masterpiece episodes like this one. Bravo. Yeah, so uh, this episode was called uh, Too Much Birthdays. It's about Kendall's 40th. It was directed by uh, Lorraine Scafaria, who did Hustlers and is a really accomplished filmmaker at this point. Co-written by Georgia Pritchett, who now is on to Shrink Next Door and Tony Roche, who is longtime succession mm-hmm. lieutenants. And... Um, the thing I took away from this episode, aside from how much I enjoyed it and laughed, was just how unhappy all these people are. Oh, my <laughs> God. Know? Just how profoundly, profoundly unhappy all these people are. Kendall can't enjoy his 40th. Shiv can't dance. Tom can't celebrate his freedom. Uh, the only person really thriving is Roman, who is a fucking sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Greg... Sure, yeah, Greg Greg comes in Greg, Greg found happiness. Like a, a Hail Mary at the end and, you know, Comfrey may have said yes to that date just to like get back at Kendall, who knows, but uh yeah, Greg did get get lucky at the end. But for the most part, the show's so good at putting people in a position whether it's, you know, indulging in the uh, you know, the excess of wealth that they have and and being on yachts and doing you know, going going to these different houses and going to these different locales or something like this where it's supposed to be a celebration. Literally, money is no object. The guest list is full. The experiences are robust, planned out by Malcolm Gladwell and a panel of scientists. 
you you just every everything you could want. You got fucking Reese there. Reese is a bad guy. <laughs> He's a bad <laughs> guy. He He's a bad guy. Uh, and yet nobody goes home happy. What do you think of this episode? Well, first of all, I really respect a Berenstein Bears reference. Uh, which is where we get the title of this episode. Mm-hmm. Berenstein Bears still got a lot of burn in my house. So respect, respect the gods, Stan and Jan. Less respect maybe for their son, Mike, who's taken the series in a rather evangelical direction, which can really be confusing to grandparents who I go had shopping no idea. for classic Berenstein Bears books. Yeah, small digression, but the first 30 years, they're a little bit, you know, mom always wears the same clothes or whatever and very, you know, kind of standard morality, but it's supportive and the bears take care of each other. Mike crashes the boards. Yeah. Every book post Mike is like, we bears live here and eat honey thanks to God's munificence. Like God doesn't worship, God doesn't give any gifts to the rabbits. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So maybe, so I don't know. I don't know who's Berenstein God the Roys are living under, but it's worth noting. Anyway, yeah, I I, I was absolutely blown away uh, by this episode on a number of levels. One, let's just take full macro perspective here. Seasons of succession sneak up on you. Mm -hmm. You know, it it is a, and still in many ways, an unlikely standard bearer for an entire generation of television excellence in that the seasons kind of go and they move along and you're like, well, okay, that was a funny uh, Tom and Greg moment. And this was an excellent Connor joke. And I, they sort of, well, here comes the Pierce family again, maybe. And then when you're not least expecting it, they put together these like MVP caliber runs leading up to a finale and you are left breathless. I really was. I mean, we, we've done these podcasts now for, this is seven weeks. The last two weeks I've come on the mic and said, this, these were outstanding mm-hmm. Pantheon succession episodes. But still, when I was about to hit play on this, I was like, but you know, I, was, I was stroking my chin as I'm, I want to do. And say, what is this? What is this building up to though? What have we accomplished? What have we done? Yeah. And then- then they drop an absolute gobsmacking banger like this, and you realize you realize all the groundwork that has been laid to allow a episode of just unmitigated trench warfare between family members like this. And no, this is not anything we've seen before. This is going over the same patch of land, maybe. Yeah. And 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 but digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And oh my God, this time we may have hit emotional bedrock. I think that the emotional bedrock point is the one I wanted to go to because I think if you and I have been groping around in the dark at, at, at mm-hmm. for something, maybe not to criticize, but at least to chew on with this season, it's been the extent to which there are soft resets for every episode of you get to the end of one episode and you think you've really had not an emotional breakthrough. Like you have some sort of deeper understanding or the characters have deeper understanding of one another, but that like some sort of line has been crossed. Some sort of page has been turned. Shiv really sees her family for the, the threats to liberal democracy that they are, or Kendall realizes this or whatever. And then the next episode the previous episode's action gets somewhat yada yada and then they just sort of start from the beginning of insulting one another. But because television demands it, they need to be in the same room and they need to sort of somewhat be in the same positions that they have been throughout the series, if not the season. So I think the person who's the biggest victim of that is Shiv's character. Um, She's the one who I think this season has done the Kendall Roy Icarus routine um, the way we saw in maybe the first season for Kendall. And she keeps kind of flying closer and closer to the sun, in this case, Logan. And uh, he keeps batting her, melting her wings, essentially, until she tries to dance them off in this episode. But she is the one who I think, you know, at the end of the previous episode with the presidential sort of picking ceremony Mm -hmm. is so aghast that Mm -hmm. Roman and Logan and Logan's assistant have essentially anointed this fascist to be the next president of the United States. And it really seems like She's just woken up. The veil has been lifted. Mm-hmm. And the next episode starts and she's just right back in her office and right back going over Gojo proposals and kind of just moseying. And now that probably is closer to what life is like, you know? Yes. But at the same time, I think it's like a, um, it's a mechanism for the show to keep being the show. Well, I think there's two ways to look at it. One is in terms of the sort of, you know, constantly working the same furrow, soft reset I found that it helps to consider the show through the same through the prism of the same psychology that the characters use, which is we're all just joking here. Sure, we're all just joking. Until we're not, we're still family. Until we're, we're not. still, we'll say, yeah. we'll say absolutely horrific things to each other, and it doesn't leave a mark. It doesn't leave a mark. 
show me someone who says things like that in real life, and I'll show you people who hopefully have saved up for decades of therapy. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything leaves a mark, and the people who deny it the most are the ones most in danger of being hurt by it. You know, it it was like uh, I, I I was a week behind. And by the time this airs, it'll be two weeks behind and watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. But uh, last night, I watched the episode where uh, Larry, for reasons that will only make, I mean, it doesn't matter because you know what Curb Your Enthusiasm is, listeners. But basically, <laughs> he has reached a sort of a, a tentative deal with a actual Klansman. And they have to pretend to be uh, friends and owning a cow together to impress Woody Harrelson. By the way, I feel like I'm selling the season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Nice job. But anyway, they're just he's just like, don't let the Jew like shortchange you. And he's like, that's just what we do. It's just what we do. And I call him a fucking racist asshole. It's what we do. You know, like we're all laughing, but on succession, they're not, they're not really uh they're not really laughing, you know, and it's really devastating. And I think that your point about Shiv is is also well observed because and especially the thing about it being like real life, because actually changing is almost impossible for anyone in real life. And it's, you know, notably difficult on this show too. I mean, the face that Shiv is making in the limo on the way home, frankly, the face that almost every character is making is, to use your words, a self-awareness of the box, the gilded box that they are in, but also a realization of the lack of options to get out of the box. I mean, what 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 else is there? You know what I mean? Right. What else is there? And and that was kind of, I think, one of the, and, and we'll go through the planks of, of brilliance, I think, at, at work in this episode. But Kendall's pretty self-aware underneath everything else in a way that the others are not. And his devastation at the end of the episode, his almost catatonic state, I was not, at least to my eyes, any kind of like withdrawal or anything. You know, it, it was actually sitting with the total loss and yeah. abandonment of his life, which is something that therapists tell you to do. It's the hardest thing to do. Sit with it. Don't try to paper it over and change it. And what we saw, what we see again and again on the show in ways small and large are people trying to use external anything to paper over the holes in themselves. And what I thought was so brilliant about this episode was the way there was, I mean, we heard later that Tom had taken the wrong drugs in the wrong order, and Greg helpfully told the wall of compliments that he had ingested a little bit of a little bit of cocaine, <laughs> or maybe a lot of bit, a lot bit of cocaine. But other than those references, it wasn't really a druggy episode. What we saw instead was all the other ways these deeply broken people try to fix themselves through ultimately unhealthy means and what and their external addictions and what it leaves them at, at, at their core. And that was. Even a taste of it with Comfrey, whose name is Comfrey, by mm -hmm. the way. <laughs> Interesting choice. Um, but okay, so that's her name. The most powerful moment of that character's arc or of the whole thing with Greg was when she referred to the state of her apartment. Right. And you're like, oh, this is a choice. This is a job. Like, this is not the manner she was born to. You know what I mean? This is the absurdity of her actual job and what her apartment, which, by the way, is probably in an outer borough, what it looks like. You right. know, and the show often doesn't uh, dally on those details, but this is what she's doing to make herself feel bigger or more important or valuable, and it's corrosive. You have to have a lot of patience with the show in a weird way because I think that if you've been watching carefully, maybe not patience, but you have to um, pay attention to this show because if you've been watching carefully, it's easy to get distracted by the jokes and it's easy to get distracted by the strokes and it's easy to get distracted by the imaginary cats and all, all that stuff, but... Kendall's breakdown's been coming the entire season. I mean, mm -hmm. you and I have commented on this is sort of a third version of this character that Jeremy Strong has played, and you, you know, it's hard to tell which one's real, but this certainly did not feel authentic, and it definitely felt like, frankly, a manic episode for most of the season. Um, what does he say? I've I've gone anti-fragile. Uh, anti-fragile, full nut-nut, yeah. <laughs> I can accommodate anything. Yes. That's definitely what someone who can accommodate things says. In my experience. <laughs> I tell you, I can accommodate anything. It's with yeah, the single I'm, tear rolling down my eye. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Before you recorded, you said you had three cans of beers and a margarita the other day. I think you can accommodate more than I realized. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, rolling through, uh, I'm rolling through the holidays. Uh, but same thing for Shiv. You know, like this sort of, the Tom Shiv stuff has been on like volume six in the background mm -hmm. of like, mm -hmm. 
her just kind of being like, cool, just go to jail. Like, like I don't want to talk about it. I'm kind of looking yeah. forward to it. I could use some loan time. But ever since they sort of reunited after he had been giving her the stiff arm in the first couple of episodes, her dissatisfaction with the marriage has been quite evident. And then this realization that this guy is not going anywhere hits both of them like a ton of bricks. So I love how they pay off seemingly background action with like enormous consequences at various points in this in this episode. Um, we can for, we can for, oh, for, for what it's worth. We sh- we should also note that I mean she did attempt to initiate some sort of intimacy between them, but he was basically like, if you're on birth control, what is the point? Right. Well, that was when um, he thought he was going to jail though, and yeah. he needed to have like a, an heir to the throne, you know. Sure. It's just, it does seem particularly cruel when, as we learn in this episode, he is hung like a red sequoia. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's sure. Sure. Like, you can't give someone, like, tickets to a national park and then, like, you know, come all you want. The gates yeah, are but, open. Andy, I wouldn't trust a hotel that did its own reviews on TripAdvisor. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you got to get outside right. confirmation just as a journalist i'm taught you got to go to right. get, get a secondary source no i think that's fair that's fair i was just dazzled i was like well that that checks out what did greg say can you prove it yeah okay yeah um we can go let's go through a couple of these characters because i think it was uh, like a largely character-based episode rather than action-based although roman makes a lot of things happen i want to start with roman so you could make an argument that each one of these seasons is somewhat centered around a kid. I think largely Kendall has been the the most fascinating object of this ensemble over the course of the three seasons. But I like think that this has been Roman's season in a lot of ways. I mean, it's been Definitely. dedicated to to him in some ways, and it, he is ascending, like legitimately ascending. Now it terrifies me. It, it doesn't make me feel good. I mean, it's not supposed to make you feel good. But his facility, it seems like the arc of the universe is bending towards Roman in a, in a very bad way. <laughs> but like his facility with communicating with people like Mencken in the previous week, yeah. who's essentially like, I borrow from H and Franco and St. Augustine. And Roman just pitter-patters it and just kind of guides the person, but also lets the person run off the rails and is just sort of this jockey on these, these crazy horses. And then this week with Alexander Skarsgård's tech bro character, Lucas Madsen, he's just like, yeah, let's, let's just joke about my dad dying. Whatever it takes, let's piss on a phone to further my objectives and to like get me closer I, to where I want to go. It's, it's brilliantly observed. It's been there the whole time. I mean, you say the arc of the show is bending towards Roman. The arc of American no, I, slash world life. Universe, yeah. literally, yeah. I right. mean, he, like the he, Romans he, of the world are winning shitty edgelord libertarian tweet bots yeah. run things and it's lame to care about things or you know feel emotional feelings like that right. sucks that's dumb let's move on you know it, it helps that Kieran Culkin is delivering this stuff and it also helps that in an episode when everyone's particular trauma is right on the surface you know it is it it, it, it is looking watching him in this episode is like watching you know, the surface of a lake on a windy day. I mean, it's every ripple is going over his face and the thing about his dad, like it's causing him actual physical pain to do this, to talk about his dad dying. Right. right. But he, he can still do he it. He was like, he is my dad, so take it easy, chief. <laughs> but also when he's just like, I can't, I can't urinate in front of another man for who knows why. <laughs> like, let's not, let's not look into that, you know? I like that. <laughs> For everybody else, there is like this. Uh, they're like there's there's that vulnerable part of their armor. Like they're like smog the dragon. It's like there's just like a couple of couple of spots you can get me. And just Roman's like, a like smog reference. <laughs> wow, smog alert in L.A. today. Chris cracked the spine on the check out your weather two towers. <laughs> smog it. Um, Ro- you can't do that to Roman because Roman's just like I want to fuck my mom. Like, what are we going to do about it? Like, nothing. Yeah, right. Whereas with Shiv, she's like, oh, God, you're really like, you're getting under my skin. But yeah, with the Kendall, moment when like, she walked getting, away. Yeah. When both of them. I mean, Roman held his ground in that mm-hmm. absolutely agonizing. And it's rare for me to think that there's a scene in Succession that is challenging to watch because it's just so, so raw. And that scene was, he stood his ground. He never, ever stopped. And that is the probably the alpha prime lesson he learned from his father. The moment when Shiv says, okay, enough. 
I mean, that is a human reaction. She overloaded. Her circuits mm-hmm. overloaded. She came back when Kendall came back because there was, it, it sort of, you know, uh, it evened out the temperature a little bit. But yeah, he never stopped. And he kept going and he kept going. And it felt like a win for him. And it was brutal. It was vicious. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. And the, right, the writers and Colkin have mastered both the performance and the rhetoric of mm-hmm. a particular kind of shitlord message board arguing where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, did I hurt your feelings? Fuck feelings. Like nothing's funny. Nothing's funny. Everything's funny. Like that kind of like constant, like Ma- mania, this, almost. like mm-hmm. mosquito of insanity in your head mm-hmm. was just like, oh, so nothing matters. Everything matters. Everything like there are no lines that you won't cross because everything's a joke, but nothing's a joke. Right. Cause like, yeah, if you, it- yeah, it's like getting into an argument online where like you're like, well, I've brought here my trusty supplies from REI, including logic and humanity. And then you get there and it's like fucking Halo 2 full frag <laughs> battle mode. You're like, excuse me? Okay, so I came here. check off Master Chief reference. <laughs> Is this the right reference? room for an argument? I mean, yeah. By the way, nothing but the cutting edge fantasy sci-fi and gaming references on this podcast. For sure. For sure. 2002. Yeah. We got this. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was devastating and ugly. And it is like watching something terrible be born. I mean, maybe I need to reference an alien film here. Because the way that the siblings look at him, mm-hmm. when Kendall says, you're not a real person. I mean, the, the way Connor has to be led away from the sight of this, from the scene of this, you know? None of these are people that are paragons of, of decency or humanity, but this is what they have birthed. And, and, it, it, and it's, again, it's a testament to the just day one creation and construction of the show that we can have this be based in the characters we've been spending time with. This is a family drama, first and foremost, but... It is not hard to, I mean, the show makes these connections explicit with episodes like the previous one, but to consider the birth of our current political moment when you watch this, Mm -hmm. when you see people who are semi-okay, but dabbling in the dark arts, be like, oh, oh, that's Rosemary's baby? Oh. You were serious about that? Yeah, right? I thought that Roman was an interesting vehicle for um, action unseen uh, over the course of the season. And this this episode kind of really jumped out at me over this. For the first few episodes, it, it, the first episode of the season starts immediately after the last mm-hmm. ep- episode of the second season. The second episode of this season, I believe, takes place the second the first episode ends. So you essentially have this continuity for a few for a few hours. And then over the last couple of episodes, I think subtly... A couple of weeks, days, however long, have passed in between um, episodes. Now, I know that there is like the Kendall's like birthday timeline is a certain amount away from when Josh Aronson's the meeting with Josh Aronson was mm-hmm. like, he's like, oh, come to my birthday. But I, I, I don't mean it as much as like actual time as much as stuff happens off screen now that is mm-hmm. pretty crucial. And I thought two things with uh, Roman happened. One was... Obviously, he and his father had devised a plan to mm-hmm. buy Kendall's shares and essentially put them under, I, I guess, Roman's name? Or is it Roman and Logan's name? But it, it was like Shiv seems shocked that this is going to, that Kendall's shares would revert to Roman. It seems like capacity. they would go to Roman, that he, he is and absorbing that, him. And he was like, who gives a shit? Like, it's just, it's all musical chairs. And she's just like, if it's musical chairs, then why isn't it me? And he's just like, what, you're going to get the financing? It, there was some discussion there. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, the, there has been this Gojo thing that's happened. Which The first we heard of that was when Kendall asks Josh Aronson to help him buy Gojo for Waystar. Uh, and, and Josh Aronson's like, it's overpriced or whatever. And then this episode, it's clear Roman's been working on that. And Roman has like an inside line on it. And Roman has like a degree of like intimacy with his father and what his father wants that Shiv is now kind of on the outside looking in at. Yeah, well, first of all, card-carrying members of the man club. That's right. Um, so that, 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 that clearly helps. Let's, for a moment, can we talk about Lucas Madsen, another yeah. new character? I would say, to use a word that Kendall uses to describe his notorious Ken ready-to-die party, uh, I would say his introduction is iconic. Mm-hmm. Because you have this, like, <laughs> Six foot seven Viking god of an actor 
and you yeah. meet him slouching, look staring into space in a weird party treehouse, being miserable. Right. And again, because this is this is succession, and it's not just that they're arrowheads are diamond sharp it's that their aim is so true they immediately make him like the peter thiel mark zuckerberg of our nightmares mm-hmm. right who is interacting in a social event because someone has told him that he ought to but is there for and i i'm going to quote here the three yeah, p's the three p's yeah privacy pussy and pasta yeah not the third p i was expecting but definitely one that's well. What did you think the third P was going to be? Well, I didn't have time to consider. I didn't yeah. have time. You know, um, <laughs> when, when, when immediately. Maybe, you, you maybe think it, it was going to be the first two and then it was going to be John yeah. Hollinger's PER rating for uh, for NBA players. I would have been put at ease by that. <laughs> Certainly. I think that would have been a very ringer. That would have been evidence that they that they listened to the 19 podcasts that the ringer makes about the sure. show. Just like a little little Easter egg for the super fans. I do love, as the podcast resident foodie, that um, that uh, the first pasta mentioned after that declaration is Garganelli. Yeah, what that is would, Garganelli? I don't, that can't wouldn't say be that, in my top 10. <laughs> I can't say that I've ever dialed up Garganelli. I think many people still think that it's the evil wizard from the Smurfs. Um, that's not the case. That's Gargamel. By the way, third, 1982, we're going back, baby. The third P, by the way, podcasts, yeah. right? Like maybe he's just waiting, trying to download Serial Season 3 on Stargo right. and it's just not coming through. Um, I that Ridley Scott's on Marin this week. <laughs> I just saw that. Can we finish yeah. up and get to it? I, um, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate the show's commitment to always introducing us to different rings of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Like, none of the people up here in this exclusive air are normal. They are all aliens, but they're all aliens in very particular ways that need to be coddled and treated in a very specific set of responses, right? Are you, You're more of a Scars guy than I am. How did you feel about this? Fan of his work. Uh, fan of his real affinity for portraying himself as a piece of shit. You know, like... <laughs> uh, He's like, he should just be in Battleship. I guess they maybe not because Battleship didn't do very well, but he is like a a leading man, box office looking, right? Like, just, just movie star idol who over and over again is like, how could I play the most deplorable, despicable, antisocial prick? That, that's that's the most Scandinavian thing about him, I would say, even other yeah. than his Aryan features. By the way, just for the record. Since also I don't him, him partying, I can't remember what, uh, what Swedish? I don't think it's Malmo. I can't remember what Swedish soccer club Skarsgård supports, but he is very, very passionately involved in. Is he? <laughs> yes, he's Maybe like that's what he was watching straight up like phone. shirtless in like twenty degree weather, <laughs> like singing songs. Yeah, that was you after those Modellos the other night, from what I understand. <laughs> that's right. Um, just for the record, I don't want to leave this unfinished. Garganelli is kind of like the bugles of pasta. It's like a quilled pasta that's rolled up. You know. Uh-huh. Not, a, lot, a lot of good a lot of good sauce suction on it, a lot of edges. So, it, you know, not a bad pasta, but still pretty random or pretty uh pretty 1% to name that as your, to name that as your first as your go-to. Right. Um his scene with Roman is my favorite, probably one of my favorites in in this season where it's just like witness your dad going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's a first of all, Roman's fluency with any type of asshole is yes. amazing. Yes. And very useful. Um, one does wonder at a certain point, like he has now done, like all of them, all of the children at various points have said, don't talk to my dad, talk to me. You don't have to talk to my dad, you talk to me. Mm-hmm. I'm here, I'm here. And all of what they're, the conversation they're having and give credit to the coder on this, it's a variation. It is a a flowering from the, the bud of when is he going to die? Mm-hmm. Because none of it is possible. The vision that Roman is pitching him, doesn't matter how many phones they piss on, there's no world where his dad's like, you drive, son. Yeah. I trust you. That's just not, that's just not a thing. So they all, they all lie just for the short-term win. And yet, as you know, I think the other kind of low-key brilliant framing of the episode was that it starts with a very public declaration, almost performance of invincibility. They're called into Logan's office to drink champagne at 10 in the morning because once again, he's going to skate. Mm-hmm. Once again, he's proven that he cannot be killed. Do and then they spend that? the rest of the episode. Well, 
the Tom thing. I mean, thing, do you buy that they have just sort of like that the DOJ thing is now dead? No, because look, they talked about buying Pierce again. Like nothing mm-hmm. on the show is dead. That is the that is the 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 gas that fuels the engine of the car. Um, it, but also, it's what fuels their their lives. I think that f- as far as they're concerned. If the DOJ is signaling they are not pursuing things right now, which in Showtime is three to six episodes, then yeah, they're on to the next thing until mm-hmm. it's time to throw money at the problem again to make it go away. I, I feel like this, for for humans like us, like I, I, as a human, let me start there. When they get this news and Tom isn't overjoyed, I was like, this is interesting because Tom is signaling to the audience what the audience ought to be feeling, which is this seems premature. Something is afoot you should still be worried about this. And that's how life works for normal people when there are legal or governmental consequences. But then Tom's behavior in the next moment, which Mirrors was, my own when Brandon Graham strip-sacked Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. It was, except I was the desk in this, in this memory. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Um, <laughs> but then Tom behaves not as a normal person who is in touch with his feelings and what any of this means or his circumstance. He, in Matthew McFadden, like, incredible. Just, like, I wonder how many takes he had in him before he was just too winded I was to cur- curious with that desk. Like, is that, mm-hmm. are you pretending the desk is heavy? Was that a really heavy desk? You know what I mean? How many how many flips could that desk take? Well, I just wanted, I wondered, you know, because he's an even older man than we are. And mm-hmm. look, he looks great. But the lumbar issues, you know what I mean? Like, where did oh, he God. lift the desk from? Yeah. And then, this, I mean, look, this is what separates the the amateurs from the professionals because a professional like McFadden or like Skarsgård after a a goal in the Swedish league <laughs> knows what they're capable of you sure. know what I mean like I'm watching him being like oh no 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 don't don't also then jump on the file cabinet that's when you're gonna pull a muscle in your arm like that's the one you know what I mean you, you, there's an ex- irrational exuberance but no he was terrific but anyway it it all was a part of God, I don't know how they do this Chris how do they track the emotional journeys of this many characters and stay true to all of them. Because what we saw from Tom throughout was incredibly consistent. He is feeling in temporary elation, mm-hmm. which may not be borne out by the facts. Which the, and then he realizes he is actually in prison. He's in a loveless marriage. He's yes. in a kind of... And, and he's chasing that high, that, yeah. that high again. To, why can't I be happy? Why can't I feel good? I mean, it's, it's pretty existential and basic and it's heartbreaking. And it it just lurks around the edges of an episode that is about many other things at the same time. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Kizik Can's free shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. This episode is brought to you by Bai. It's Wonder Water. What makes Bai so great? It's simple. From raspberry lemon lime by Sydney Sweeney to Zambia Bing Cherry and Palavo Pineapple Mango, Bai has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. So for flavorful hydration, choose Bai. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Bai and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbai.com.
let's talk a little bit about the only person who might have been sadder than Tom in this episode, and that was Kendall. Mm-hmm. Um, holy shit. You know, uh, that was one where it's like, it's like watching Kevin Durant go for 51, and you're like, I don't really know what part I should talk about first. You know, do I talk about the opening scene, which is like, yep, it's a party, and you think he's going to do L to the OG, and guess what? It's going to be crazier than that. He's going to sing Billy Joel, and he's wearing like this puffed up varsity jacket that probably costs eight thousand dollars and the turtleneck and the turtleneck Don't and a chain and he's yeah. and he's not using again maybe hardcore but like seems to be indulging and you could just see from a mile away you could see from three or four episodes away that this is coming what do you think set kendall off the most was it the card that said cash out and fuck off mm-hmm. and a offer sheet from his brother and his father was it you know, Rava telling him that his family is snooping around in parks and harassing his children? Or was it the line basically about, you know, you don't have any real friends, your wife and your kids aren't here, your mother and your father aren't here, and oh, your incredible. siblings are only here to no. advance their business concerns? No, it was when he couldn't find his kids present. Yeah. And, and, and before we talk about that, I do want to just step back one moment and say, whenever anyone talks about succession, writ large, and and we're part of this too, there is a large piece of it devoted to, oh, you know, how great this cast is. They all get along. They love playing these characters. They get to do an improv take, and they're very, they're very, they're very loose with each other, and they all get blah, blah, blah. And then inevitably, the next part of it is, well, except for Jeremy Strong, who barricades himself in his trailer like some sort of like, you know, Gregorian monk and stays in character the whole time and is essentially... Between the lines, it sometimes sounds like, oh, well, he's kind of a buzzkill because we're just we're just zipping and zapping with the homies. That's another phrase from 2002. Our younger listeners won't get zipping it. Zipping and zapping, yeah. I used to say yeah, that it, a lot. It, it, We used to say that. This is why he does that. You mm-hmm. know, what I couldn't get over watching this episode was not just the intensity of his performance, but the the volume of his performance because he was in so many scenes, doing so many different things, giving us so many different looks at this character's internal anguish that mm-hmm. we've been staring at for you know almost three full seasons now and he's still finding new layers in when i'm watching this and again you can't even imagine with the extra complications from covid but an episode like this is shot over a number of days and so day one might be the scene uh with naomi opening the presents that might be his introduction to this episode and then he might later in the same day have to do the scene where he's mad at greg and then the scene where he's singing Billy Joel. That might all be the same day or two days are totally out of order. And if you think about this episode in a way that you absolutely shouldn't, but if you watch it again and consider it this way as a collection of individual pieces of scene work, Mm -hmm. it is totally jaw-dropping what he's able to conjure. And whatever method he uses, it works. It works for that character, particularly when in an episode like this, you see what, how that character is unlike the other members of his family. So, to your other point, I mean, yeah, it was a classic construction of character begins at the top of the hill, butterfly flaps its wings, the breeze gets him, knocks him back one step, and the next thing you know, you're in a ditch at the bottom of the hill. And you can track the downfall bit by bit by bit. The 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 card from his father was, you know, an incredible head fuck and also a, a deeper rejection than almost anything could be. The same rejection that is mirrored by his siblings who only came to advance their own slash their father's interests, you know, right. that the needy Kendall's weakness is his neediness for the love and the affection or just some scrim of normalcy from his siblings. But to definitively answer your question, it, it was the moment when he couldn't find the children's birthday present because what happened was he got, he got his head and his body cut off. You mm-hmm. know, there is a calculation that we understand Kendall is making, even if it's never spoken aloud, which is that he justifies everything that he's doing somehow. In his head. I mean, we all do that. But I think that for as nonsensical as the like, you know, woke defender of liberal democracy pose is for that man, he has to believe it. Otherwise, what's it all for? Mm-hmm. What is, what's it worth bombing everything? And, you that's know, that's why he can't we, take the money. I mean, because, like, and, yeah. But also, that's why he tells himself it's okay to leave his children in an apartment with a bagel poisoned rabbit, right? Like, that's why the kid's absence is so brilliantly utilized on the show when other shows would ignore it. And so the Rava scene was just awful and, oh, God, painful and sad to watch. But she's like, yeah, I'm going to 
my for my 40th it's going to be like you know three girlfriends and some shibli and then home at like bed at 11 uh, by the way rava call me <laughs> it's my dream night um uh, he didn't have the floor anymore because he yeah. didn't even have the thing i mean and it's also super fucked up i say this is apparent that he was basically like where is the parachute? Where is the parachute? I'm free falling now. And the parachute is going to be a sign of genuine emotion from my children to sustain me. Yeah, it probably spe- says a lot about my lack of children that I and probably the amount of Mindhunter that I watched that I was like, did right. the kids send him the dead rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Chris, also, you're forgetting something crucial. All these other podcasters are your sons. You forget that. <laughs> Father to many. Um, um, I, can we talk about the Naomi Pierce of it? Yeah, I actually really wanted to because that's, you know, I love how uh, surprising the show can be in subtle ways where that would have been the perfect exit ramp Mm -hmm. for that character. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I I don't think that we've gotten enough screen time or enough time spent Mm -hmm. with her to really be like, she is part of the like fabric of this show. I think that she shows up one episode, then is gone for two and a half episodes or whatever, and then comes back. Um, I was fully ready for him to be like this fucking watch. Like, why'd you get this for me? Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. And then for her to be like, you're an asshole and you're out of your mind that I'm out of here. And if you're going to like laugh, if you're going to turn your nose up at $2 billion that we could do a lot of good with, like just cause you need to be a part of this sick game. I'm out. And, and you know, you're, you're just a mess. And instead she, she sticks with him. She it's cares a, for him. Yeah. It's, it's like a really interesting development. It was really kind. It was also so dark earlier when, you know, she's like, but but what if with the money? Yeah. And he starts spinning like a fantasy, but the fantasy isn't just buying her a present. The fantasy is also buying like newspapers the to publish. Powell jobs, yeah, thing, yeah. But also to publish photos of his dad. Like, mm-hmm. nope, nope, you, you're not, you started and then you steered right back into but it. That's what his dad does. That's what his dad just did to the president. Right, no, of course. But like, yeah. he can't, he doesn't, twice in the episode, he doesn't understand the gift she's offering him. Mm-hmm. When she tells him to consider the money, what she's offering him is freedom. When she gives him the watch, she's just like, it's just a thing. It's just a thing because I give you a present, but I actually am saying that I love you or that I'm here for you or that I'm, you know. The, the Naomi thing, is, I, I agree with you because it's, it's like many choices with the show, they choose the more complicated and interesting path. There was, in the season premiere, when he tells Rava that Naomi Pierce is coming over and there's some eye rolls, or even when he defends her presence on the yacht at the end of last season to his dad, I think he says variations of she's good for me. Mm-hmm. And we haven't spent a lot of time for them. And our feelings are kind of immediately, well, he's not doing so great. So what does good for him even mean? And also, isn't it just that they are both rich kids who like to do drugs? Yeah. Is that, are they are good they for keep, each other? I mean, I think they're kind of keeping each other a little bit California sober, if it seems like. I, I, I think so too. And I think that what was shown here is that she has, maybe because of her own experience or whatever, she has the capacity for empathy to a degree that characters generally do not demonstrate on the show and they certainly aren't, aren't rewarded for it. You know, I mean, for Kendall to basically become the child that he was never allowed to be and then for her to just wrap him in a blanket and go home. I mean, it was the, that was maybe the most tender thing we've ever seen on this show after 27 episodes. Am yes. I wrong? No, I mean, I, I was, so at the end of it, when she plays a bigger role at the end of this episode, yeah, I was kind of wondering whether or not the Pierce family mentioned earlier in the episode was more than a throwaway. Because in the moment, I was like, they're using the Pierce family as a juxtaposition to Gojo to show why right. Logan buying a Condé Nast type legacy media publication, like um, Empire, doesn't change the weather the way it would if he bought what I am assuming is supposed to be like a, a kind of like a Twitch or slash FanDuel slash a I, little bit of Facebook. Yeah, I I don't really know what it is. You know, I don't really know what Gojo is, but let's just let's just roll with it. I thought maybe maybe if Naomi is still in the mix like this, maybe the Pierce's are, see because I've been kind of trying to figure out like you keep right. you tantalize me with Adrian Brody, and Justin Kirk. And Alexander Skarsgård, it's not Elathan, and these people who are coming in and doing essentially one episode uh, turns in the in the show. And I don't necessarily expect every one of them to be Holly Hunter in season two, but I thought Holly Hunter in season two got to grow into a role and play a couple of different. Are, are you saying what I think you're saying? Is what? that is that is that Cherry Jones's music? Look, I wouldn't be mad at it. I wouldn't be mad at it. It's cherry season. You know, Broadway's been dark for a while. They're just coming back. She she just probably doesn't have a play right now. 
So yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to see where that goes because I think they could have written the Pierces out writ large at any given point over the last season. I think that the other thing to consider with the Pierce piece and the the circular nature of all of it is, you know, isn't that what business is in 2021? It's just flirting and playing footsie with the right people all the time. So the shareholders are satisfied and increase your value on the possibility of what you're going to do. Like our history, the history of mergers, and listen, you guys know, I am the Jonas era of this shit, right? Like I pay attention to the business section of the newspaper, I want to say. I don't know anything about anything. But from my layman's perspective, these giant mergers that happen, they don't, like like with many relationships, like the best part is right before they seal the deal or the government sure. allows them to seal the deal. Like once sure. it's reality and we're like, oh, right, we are a food business and we bought a stapler company. Like what are we doing here? You know, it's the the AOL Time Warner thing from 20 years ago all over again. And so that's kind of why the just, okay, now we're going to do, and, it, and, it's, the, and it, it's, it's not just top down, it's bottom up, right? Like Frank in this episode is just like, oh, this Pierce thing is good. Yeah. Of course it's good. It's yeah. another way to keep treading water. When they say you know? the wind, the wind in our hair, and like the wind in our, he's like your hair, Frank. Your hair, Frank. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just I wanted to mention some of my favorite little moments in this episode yes. as a way of closing out. We can start with Shiv dancing, which I think also is like just a quick bit about Shiv. I mentioned earlier my main thoughts were just that her character is somewhat of a victim of the soft resets of the episodes. Yeah. Um, but if anything, we could learn from watching where it's like the thing that you think didn't matter actually does matter. The thing you thought was a throwaway is not a throwaway. I think they continue to push Shiv towards Kendall throughout this season. Um, And her kind of dancing on her own, uh, no no Robin illusion intended, was like kind of, had a lot of pathos. You know what I mean? Oh my God. It was very, very sad. And like almost like also like everybody making fun of her dancing. It's like, did she ever really even like learn to dance? Like, is, she, <laughs> is she good at anything? Yeah. It's really savage what's happening to her character this season. All of the um, status that she carried into the first two seasons was apparently just a house of cards, right? Because she had her political career. She was the black sheep. She was the outsider. You know, she was savvy and tough and friends with the right people, right? Like, and, 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 systematically, all of those uh, illusions have been blown away. I mean, starting with her good friend Lisa not listening to her and going to work for Kendall instead. Every single piece of her political advice thus far this season, right? I mean, it... And the dancing was also kind of brilliant. Like, yeah, there's actually something kind of beautiful and joyful about people just doing whatever they want on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. But I think that you've made a very important observation, which is she probably thinks she's very good at dancing. Right. Right. And was doing something. There's always an ulterior motive. And even if there wasn't, it's never going to be allowed to be that. And so of all the things that I'm curious about in the remaining three episodes is what are we going to do with Shiv is, is the most interesting to me. Because for all their nonsense, the other characters are pretty good at being the public performed versions of themselves. Obviously, there are massive cracks in that as we're seeing with Kendall. But like, Connor and Roman, they can do it, you know? Tom even is barely holding it together and is a total lunatic and is screaming at faces in flower walls. I mean, just a genius scene on every level. When the guy was like, you are full of grace, and he got mad, I was like, is he mad because it's like a Maria full of grace thing and he thinks he's like a drug mule? (laughs) I, I I just think that like, just everything about that, this is one of those episodes where I just feel exhilaration for the people making it because imagine being in that room being like let's pitch ideas for Kendall's 40th birthday party sure like how much fucking fun is that like how much fun was it to conceive of Kendall opening the card from his dad in a recreation of the Waystar office that's also on fire I mean all those details are just incredible but but the Tom thing like he's miserable and he's trapped and he's going to be up for a lot longer than he intended alone but he got what he most wanted out of this. Whether it's a poison pill or not, we don't know, but he got the arm squeeze from Logan being like, I'll remember what you did. Yeah. That's why he did it. That's why he did everything and he got it. Um, Shiv is, 
Is it that she's wishy-washy? Is it that she's conflicted? Is it that she is human? What is what is the situation that she finds herself in and what are the potential outs? I don't know. I mean, frankly, if I were her, I'd probably just follow Tiny Wu-Tang um, because they've got it all ahead of them. They've got it all ahead of them. Oh my God, I love that. I Can I, can I just say that like, I know I said at the beginning of the podcast that Succession remains an unlikely standard bearer for the next era of television. And I think that's the case. Yet at the same time, if you were going to design a show that would at least unite the various factions that make up the TV audience, something that is at once the most wickedly funny, and there's no question, I mean, this if you entered this episode as a contender for the best comedy writing Emmy, it should win. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to find something that would compete with it. And and I, yes, I did watch the Jazzercise episode of What We Do in the Shadows. But it's also in some ways, as revealed in this episode, when it wants to be the most searing psychological show on television. I mean, yeah. what the level that it was operating on of these people who are all just deeply, deeply broken toys, but stuck in the dollhouses of their own making, I mean, is heavy. This yeah. one got me. This was a really, really heavy episode, and it has that in the bag. I think that the Roman tearing those two apart at the end and just being like, you're mad that daddy wants to fuck me and he doesn't want to fuck you anymore and him shoving Kendall over and then just like laughing at him. It just gets like, it gets stomach churning, but it, it, it speaks to just like the, the show being able to be the funniest show on TV, the most uncomfortable show on TV the most thought provoking show on TV is really, that's why we talk about it as much as we do. Also, cause that's business. He is winning cause that what he did, that's capitalism. And you could pretend otherwise. You could pretend like, well, we're all related. We're all in the same family. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to look after you. We're going to throw a few dollars to charity. We're going to do something that makes sense. And it's going to be a beautiful union. But fuck it, no. It's a drunk member of the man club finding everyone's weaknesses, exploiting them, and crushing them, and winning. I mean, that's that's it. And that's how the party ended. That's how our podcast will end. We want to say thank you to Kaya McMullen. Uh, Honorary for, member of the man club for this week. Producing this episode. <laughs> Hope everybody had a lovely Thanksgiving and we will be back on Thursday to talk more TV and pop culture. Happy holidays in America. What a happy note to end on. <laughs>